Section 7 of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Notes from Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett. Part 1. Underground. Chapter 4. Ha ha ha. You will be finding enjoyment in toothache next, you cry with a laugh. Well, even in toothache there is enjoyment, I answer. I had toothache for a whole month, and I know there is. In that case, of course, people are not spiteful in silence, but moan. But they are not candid moans, they are malignant moans. And the malignancy is the whole point. The enjoyment of the sufferer finds expression in those moans. If he did not feel enjoyment in them, he would not moan. It is a good example, gentlemen, and I will develop it. Those moans express in the first place all the aimlessness of your pain, which is so humiliating to your consciousness. The whole legal system of nature on which you spit disdainfully, of course, but from which you suffer all the same, while she does not. They express the consciousness that you have no enemy to punish but that you have pain, the consciousness that in spite of all possible Wagenheims you are in complete slavery to your teeth, that if someone wishes it, your teeth will leave off aching, and if he does not, they will go on aching another three months, and that finally, if you are still contumacious and still protest, all that is left to you for your own gratification is to thrash yourself or beat your wall with your fist as hard as you can and absolutely nothing more. Well, these mortal insults, these jeers on the part of someone unknown, end at last in an enjoyment which sometimes reaches the highest degree of voluptuousness. I ask you, gentlemen, listen sometimes to the moans of an educated man of the nineteenth century, suffering from toothache. On the second or third day of the attack, when he is beginning to moan, not as he moaned on the first day, that is, not simply because he has a toothache, not just as any coarse peasant, but as a man affected by progress and European civilization, a man who is divorced from the soil and the national elements, as they express it nowadays. His moans become nasty, disgustingly malignant, and go on for whole days and nights. And of course he knows himself that he is doing himself no sort of good with his moans, he knows better than anyone that he is only lacerating and harassing himself and others for nothing. He knows that even the audience before whom he is making his efforts, and his whole family, listen to him with loathing, do not put a haporth of faith in him, and inwardly understand that he might moan differently, more simply, without trills and flourishes, and that he is only amusing himself like that from ill-humor, from malignancy. Well, in all these recognitions and disgraces, it is that there lies a voluptuous pleasure. As though he would say, I am worrying you, I am lacerating your hearts, I am keeping everyone in the house awake. Well, stay awake then. You too feel every minute that I have toothache. I am not a hero to you now, as I tried to seem before, but simply a nasty person, an impostor. Well, so be it then. I am very glad that you see through me. It is nasty for you to hear my despicable moans. Well, let it be nasty. 
Here I will let you have a nastier flourish in a minute. You do not understand even now, gentlemen? No, it seems our development and our consciousness must go further to understand all the intricacies of this pleasure. You laugh, delighted. My jests, gentlemen, are of course in bad taste, jerky, involved, lacking self-confidence, but of course that is because I do not respect myself. Can a man of perception respect himself at all? End of chapter 4 Chapter 5 Come, can a man who attempts to find enjoyment in the very feeling of his own degradation possibly have a spark of respect for himself? I am not saying this now from any mawkish kind of remorse, and indeed I never could endure saying, Forgive me, Papa, I won't do it again. Not because I am incapable of saying that. On the contrary, perhaps just because I have been too capable of it. And in what a way, too. As though of design, I used to get into trouble in cases when I was not to blame in any way. That was the nastiest part of it. At the same time, I was genuinely touched and penitent. I used to shed tears and, of course, deceived myself, though I was not acting in the least, and there was a sick feeling in my heart at the time. For that, one could not even blame the laws of nature. Though the laws of nature have continually all my life offended me more than anything, it is loathsome to remember it all, but it was loathsome even then. Of course, a minute or so later, I would realize wrathfully that it was all a lie, a revolting lie, an affected lie, that is, all this penitence, this emotion, these vows of reform. You will ask why I did worry myself with such antics. Answer, because it was very dull to sit with one's hands folded, and so one began cutting capers. That is really it. Observe yourself more carefully, gentlemen. Then you will understand that that is so. I invented adventures for myself and made up a life, so as at least to live in some way. How many times has it happened to me? Well, for instance, to take offense simply on purpose for nothing. And one knows oneself, of course, that one is offended at nothing, that one is putting it on, but yet one brings oneself at last to the point of being really offended. All my life I have had an impulse to play such pranks, so that in the end I could not control it in myself. Another time, twice in fact, I tried hard to be in love. I suffered too, gentlemen, I assure you. In the depth of my heart there was no faith in my suffering, only a faint stir of mockery, but yet I did suffer, and in the real orthodox way. I was jealous, beside myself, and it was all from ennui, gentlemen, all from ennui. Inertia overcame me. You know the direct, legitimate fruit of consciousness is inertia. That is, conscious sitting with the hands folded. I have referred to this already. I repeat. I repeat with emphasis. All direct persons and men of action are active just because they are stupid and limited. How to explain that? I will tell you, in consequence of their limitation, they take immediate and secondary causes for primary ones, and in that way persuade themselves more quickly and easily than other people do, that they have found an infallible foundation for their activity, and their minds are at ease, and you know that is the chief thing. To begin to act, you know, 
you must first have your mind completely at ease and no trace of doubt left in it why how am i for example to set my mind at rest where are the primary causes on which i am to build where are my foundations where am i to get them from i exercise myself in reflection and consequently with me every primary cause at once draws after itself another still more primary and so on to infinity that is just the essence of every sort of consciousness and reflection it must be a case of the laws of nature again what is the result of it in the end why just the same remember i spoke just now of vengeance i am sure you did not take it in i said that a man revenges himself because he sees justice in it therefore he has found a primary cause that is justice and so he is at rest on all sides and consequently he carries out his revenge calmly and successfully being persuaded that he is doing a just and honest thing but i see no justice in it i find no sort of virtue in it either and consequently if i attempt to revenge myself it is only out of spite spite of course might overcome everything all my doubts and so might serve quite successfully in place of a primary cause precisely because it is not a cause but what is to be done if i have not even spite i began with that just now you know in consequence again of those accursed laws of consciousness anger in me is subject to chemical disintegration you look into it the object flies off into air your reasons evaporate the criminal is not to be found the wrong becomes not a wrong but a phantom something like the toothache for which no one is to blame and consequently there is only the same outlet left again that is to beat the wall as hard as you can so you give it up with a wave of the hand because you have not found a fundamental cause and try letting yourself be carried away by your feelings blindly without reflection without a primary cause repelling consciousness at least for a time hate or love if only not to sit with your hands folded the day after tomorrow at the latest you will begin despising yourself for having knowingly deceived yourself result a soap bubble and inertia oh gentlemen do you know perhaps i consider myself an intelligent man only because all my life i have been able neither to begin nor to finish anything granted i am a babbler a harmless vexatious babbler like all of us but what is to be done if the direct and sole vocation of every intelligent man is babble that is the intentional pouring of water through a sieve End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 Oh, if I had done nothing simply from laziness! Heavens, how I should have respected myself then! I should have respected myself because I should at least have been capable of being lazy. There would at least have been one quality, as it were, positive in me, in which I could have believed myself. Question what is he answer a sluggard how very pleasant it would have been to hear that of oneself it would mean that i was positively defined it would mean that there was something to say about me sluggard why it is a calling and vocation it is a career do not jest it is so i should then be a member of the best club by right and should find my occupation in continually respecting myself 
I knew a gentleman who prided himself all his life on being a connoisseur of Lafitte. He considered this as his positive virtue, and never doubted himself. He died, not simply with a tranquil, but with a triumphant conscience. And he was quite right, too. Then I should have chosen a career for myself. I should have been a sluggard and a glutton. Not a simple one, but, for instance, one with sympathies for everything good and beautiful. How do you like that? I have long had visions of it. That good and beautiful weighs heavily on my mind at forty. But that is at forty. Then, oh, then it would have been different. I should have found for myself a form of activity in keeping with it. To be precise, drinking to the health of everything good and beautiful. I should have snatched at every opportunity to drop a tear into my glass, and then to drain it to all that is good and beautiful. I should then have turned everything into the good and the beautiful. In the nastiest, unquestionable trash, I should have sought out the good and the beautiful. I should have exuded tears like a wet sponge. An artist, for instance, paints a picture worthy of gay. At once I drink to the health of the artist, who painted the picture worthy of gay, because I love all that is good and beautiful. An author has written, as you will. At once I drink to the health of anyone you will, because I love all that is good and beautiful. I should claim respect for doing so. I should persecute anyone who would not show me respect. I should live at ease. I should die with dignity. Why, it is charming, perfectly charming. And what a good round belly I should have grown. What a treble chin I should have established. What a ruby nose I should have colored for myself so that every one would have said, looking at me, Here is an asset. Here is something real and solid. And say what you like, it is very agreeable to hear such remarks about oneself in this negative age. End of chapter 6